Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 16. We stand as a way to honor God's word and give our attention to the reading of God's word. This is Matthew 21, 12 through 16. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray. We, we pray for your, your goodness. We pray for your truth. We pray for your spirit, Lord, to, to come into our lives and teach us today um, what, what this story has for us this day and in the days ahead. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So uh, last week, I think it was last week, I started out with the clip of Aladdin, and you all really seem to enjoy movie clips. And so um, I, I thought we would try it again, and so we have a little clip that I want to show you all here. Spencer, can you help him out? Really? So, so the truth is, I'm a terrible actor, and I can't act. And so in the first service, I tried to pretend to be really mad. But I was so terrible at it that people just laughed at me instead. And, and my whole point was to, to make you all feel a little bit uncomfortable, all right, that, that your pastor got angry, but I can't act. And so I need somebody to really make me mad, all right, so that I could actually get mad and you all could feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> he knows exactly what to do. Um, because, because we've all probably been in a situation in which somebody wasn't pretending to be mad, and they actually got mad and was super uncomfortable, right? So maybe you're at dinner, it's a family dinner, and everything is going well, and somebody makes some political comment, and somebody else makes a political comment, and all of a sudden it just escalates really quickly. Or you're out with a group of friends, and there's this awkward interaction between this couple, and they start getting angry with one another, and you're just like, ugh, this is really uncomfortable. That's what I wanted to help you all feel today, but you're just going to have to imagine it, because I can't pretend to be mad, all right? Uh, but what I can do is uh, help us all to, to get there and to think about how awkward it would be to be in this situation and to see really two different groups of people get mad for two different reasons. And so what we see is we see Jesus sort of getting righteously angry 
And then we see the Pharisees getting indignant about what Jesus was doing. Um, I saw this meme a while ago on, on Facebook, but I thought it was really good. I shared it on my Facebook, but it says this. If someone asks, what would Jesus do? Remind them that turning over tables and breaking out whips is a possibility. Um, and so again, I was tempted to like knock over something and that sort of stuff, but I just, I didn't want to spill grape juice anywhere or anything like that. So I thought it was safer um, not, not to do that. But, but what you do see here is like these two different kinds of anger. And, and I think that we can probably resonate with these two different kinds of anger um, about what it means to, to be um, indignant. Um, now, now, part of the thing, by the way, that we had done is that there had been a couple of, of errors, misspellings, and other things. This was all supposed to contribute to me getting angry, but I still couldn't pull it off, all right? Um, and so, um, but, but if we look at different kinds of anger, I, I, I sort of came up with a little formula. It's not perfect, but I think it gets us close to understanding different kinds of anger. And so indignation, which is what the chief priests and the scribes felt, is, is, a, is a kind of anger that's really about offense, all right? And so this is what I think the formula somewhat looks like. It's unmet expectations plus lack of control multiplied by our current emotional state, all right? So let me give you an example that, that none of you have experienced, but you're driving down the road, going the speed limit, doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Your expectation, all right, although there's lots of evidence to the contrary, is that other people will drive sanely. No. What does happen is somebody will cut you off, all right? And so your expectations that people are going to drive like they're supposed to are not met. You can't control the stupid person in front of you, all right? I know that's not what you're thinking, but occasionally some of you may be feeling that way. You can't control them, and that makes you even more upset. And then depending on your emotional state that day, all right, maybe you didn't eat breakfast, and so you're hungry, and you're already sort of agitated, or it's been a long week, and there's something that's going on might cause you to say some things to a person who can't hear you, all right? Or even worse, you know, you drive up past them and you gesture at them in ways that you wouldn't probably gesture in church, right? Like, this is what happens, right? And it happens in other ways, too. I'm a, I'm a golfer, not a good one, but um, I do this crazy thing. I'm, I'm going to have one of my irons, uh, it's a 120-yard shot, and I expect that I'm going to get it close to the hole. Now, why is that? I don't know, because it's never happened before. But I, I get up there, and I think, oh, I can get this one close. But what, So what, what obviously happens is what happens with most of my shots is they start out going straight, and they end up going right. All right? But what happens is, is that my expectation isn't met, and my lack of control in my irons, all right, I can't control. If I knew what I was doing wrong, I'd fix it, right? And then, and then my emotional state, depending on, on how like, long it is in the round and how often like, I've been hitting the same bad shot over and over and over again, depends on how I react. Now, there was a time when I was a kid um, and, and I, I threw a golf club, you know, and, the, and the, the head fell off the driver and that wasn't a good thing. But, but there, was a, there was some anger that was there, right? And, and, and maybe you've had that experience too. Maybe even sometimes in parenting. We, we, we have expectations that, that our kids aren't going to be kids and, and that, that they're not always going to do the things we say the first time. And so that unmet expectations and, and we can't control our children even though we wish we could. And sometimes even at the end of a long day, um, we find ourselves getting more angry. And again, indignation is really all about offense. I'm offended that my will and my way is not being done. 
And we see this with the, the chief priests and the scribes, that, that they were, their expectations was that the temple and what was going to be happening in the temple was under their authority. And so that was their expectation. But when Jesus came in and literally overturned those expectations, all right, they didn't have control over Jesus. And so here, they were already beginning to be fed up with Jesus and all the disruption that he was. And so that caused some of their anger and their outburst. Now, what we saw from Jesus is sort of a righteous anger, all right? That, that it was a good way to be angry because it was justified. And so righteous anger is really all about injustice in which we see something happening and, and we want to make it right. And so this is kind of the formula that I came up with in this way is that it begins with godly injustice, that there is something that is wrong with the world. There's something that is off um, out there. Um, and, that then, and then if you have an opportunity to make an impact, can I, can I, do I feel like I can make a difference? And then that is multiplied by our emotional investment. Because there's so many things, if we look out into the world, we say, well, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. All right? But there are some things that really get at our heart and that get us fired up to take some steps about it because we feel like we can make an impact. And so let me give you a couple of examples with that. Um, a couple of years ago, we had this big teacher strike in, in Oklahoma. Um, and so for me, I, I think our educational system in Oklahoma isn't what it should be. All right, that, that we are leaving children behind, we are not funding our teachers adequately, we're not doing what we need to do. And I think that there's an injustice because I feel that education really is one of the key components for people especially to grow out of poverty. And so the better that we can do as a, as a community and investing in education, the better that we're going to be able to create people who are contributing to society. Now, as a pastor, I have an opportunity to influence people, um, and so I, I tried to, to use the impact that I would have to, to help people see that this isn't right. Um, but also, I had a big emotional investment because my wife was a, a teacher um, there, particularly at a Title I school that had, lots, that had high, high needs for lots of people. Um, and also, my, my kids are in public schools, and I knew so many people who were in public schools, and so um, when the teacher strikes were going on and all that energy was there, there was this righteous anger that so many of us felt because it touched us emotionally. There are other things that, that can touch us emotionally when we, when we see a godly injustice in the world. Um, for, for many people, the issue of abortion is that, that they see, you know, this isn't the way that God wants the world to be, that, that, that babies in wombs are people and they matter and, and they, should be, they should come out alive. And this isn't the way it should be. And so some people have an opportunity to make an impact, to, to participate in positive things that, that provide adoption or other options for people so that true life can happen. Um, and for some people, this is a very emotional issue because they, maybe they came from a family and, and it was in their family and it broke their heart or um, they, they saw the benefits of adoption or whatever the case may be, but for some reason, it really touches their heart. When I was a pastor in Tulsa, another issue that, that came up for me was, was really racism and systematic racism. Um, if you've never studied the Tulsa Race Massacre, I hope you do because it really is one of the darkest chapters in Oklahoma history. And, and, and the impacts of that go on for decades and decades and literally a century later, we're still dealing with the ramifications of that. In fact, in, in Tulsa, if you look at it in North Tulsa, um, which is the primarily African-American community where the race massacres occurred, the average life expectancy is 15 years less than in South Tulsa, just 10 miles away. And so if you were born in North Tulsa, you might live to the age of 61, but if you are born in South Tulsa, you're going to live to 76. And this isn't right. 
And so as a pastor, one of the things that I, I felt called to do was to help people see that and that this was an impact opportunity because I saw the way it affected some of my brothers and sisters, some of the kids in, in Heather's school and some of the other folks, and I thought, this isn't right. And so there's this righteous anger that should happen because we want justice to be done. And so what Jesus did was he saw that there was injustice that was happening and he gave us a model for righteous indignation because he saw that people were being exploited. Now this is a story all about how the, the temple got flipped, turned upside down. Now I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how Jesus cleared the temple and also cleared the air. All right? And so this is what happened. Let me give you, most people at the first service didn't get that, all right? Some of you did. All right, I think we have a, a picture of, of the temple, and it's not the best picture, but I hope you can see it, where there's a lot of different color and energy on the right-hand side. That's sort of the Holy of Holies, and, and the center of the temple on um, what would be the left-hand side is the Court of the Women. Now, the outside edge is what was called the Court of the Gentiles. Now, this is most likely, from what I could find, was most likely where this incident would have happened in the court of the Gentiles outside the main part of the temple. Now, a couple of things were happening there that were really pretty important. The first thing is, is that Jews would come to make a sacrifice in the temple. And what they would do is, depending on how much wealth they had, depending on what kind of sacrifice. Maybe it was a pigeon or a dove for those who were poor. For those who were richer, it was a sheep or a cow. And so some people could bring their sacrifice to the temple but for others it was too long of a journey and so they didn't bring it they would just get one there and so what they had to do is the first thing they had to do was to get temple cash all right and so they had to exchange the money they had for temple money and if you um if you've ever been to another country you know that exchange rate is not dollar for dollar right especially for people who have no power or no say in it and so there was exploitation that was often happening with the poor that they were losing money the other way they were losing money is that they were having to buy the animal that was there, the pigeon or, or whatever the case may be. And they may not be the pigeon that was really acceptable for a sacrifice, but they had no other choice. And so it was the poor who were being exploited. And so Jesus walks up and he sees this happening time and time again. In fact, this was the normal practice of the day is that these things were happening in the court of the Gentiles. Now, it's also noteworthy that it was the court of the Gentiles. So Jews would be able to come. They'd be able to exchange their money, buy, a new, buy the animal for the sacrifice, and then go in and give the sacrifice. But Gentiles who wanted to worship God at the temple, and there were some, they were stuck in the court of the Gentiles. So imagine if we let all the Methodists in the doors, all right, into the sanctuary. But, you, but Baptists, and if you're a Baptist here, God bless you, all right, you have to worship out in the foyer today, all right? And part of that worship in the, the foyer, all right, is that there's going to be a lot of commotion going on, all right? Um, that, that people, there's going to be a lot of activity. And if you came to pray, it's going to be really hard for you to pray because of all the noise and all the activity that is going on. And so there were Gentiles who wanted to come and worship God, but they weren't able to because of all the commotion that was happening there. I love this quote that I, I found from a commentator by the name of D.A. Carson. And he says this, Instead of solemn dignity and murmur of prayer, there was a billowing of cattle and bleeding of sheep. Instead of brokenness and contrition, holy adoration and prolonged petition, there is noisy commerce. And so this is the world that Jesus walked into. In which should have been a house of prayer, people were literally being robbed of the opportunity to pray. 
and they were being robbed of the opportunity to receive forgiveness through the animal and through the sacrifice. Now, I want to, I wanna, if you go with me on a little side theological point that I think is really pretty important, but it's not going to tie in with the rest of my sermon. So just give me a little bit of grace here as we go here. One of the reasons why Jesus drove out the, the pigeons, all right, and in John's gospel it talks about the cattle and the sheep as well, is that those were animals that were for sacrifices, for, um, for forgiveness, to get people to be right with God. But part of the beauty of what Jesus is doing here is when he drives out those animals, it's because he is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. We don't need these other animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus is the sacrifice for all. And so part of the beauty of the theology of this is Jesus is not only doing something here, all right, but he's making a symbol and a sign for something bigger. Now, in John's gospel, we, we find this story um, in, in chapter 2. It's actually at the beginning of, of the gospel. And what it tells us in there is that Jesus made a whip, all right? Now, this is kind of crazy. And, it, and he made a whip and, and kind of bound it together. Can you, like, I'm almost imagining like a seething dad a little bit, you know, just making the whip. Karen made this whip for me, all right? You know, like Chandler, whoppa, right, if you remember that. Um, <laughs> And so, so Jesus makes this whip. And I don't think Jesus is out there hitting people, all right, to get them out. I think it's really to kind of cast, get those animals out. But I think it provides us with the illustration we need of just how serious and how angry Jesus was. Because what was happening at the temple was in no way God's intent for what should be happening at the temple. Now, we pay a lot of attention to what Jesus drove out. And we don't always pay attention to what happens next. Now, in the scripture that we read, in verse 14, it says it this way, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But as we were reading this um, as a staff, one of our, our staff had it in the message translation, and this is what it says in the message. After he drove out um, everything, he said this, now there was room for the blind and crippled to get in. Once Jesus drove out the, um, the money changers, once he drove out all the, the animals uh, that were being sold, now there was room for the blind and crippled to get in. They came to Jesus and he healed them. And so what Jesus did was he turned this whole thing upside down, not just the scribes and the Pharisees and, and made their world more difficult, but he did it in order. He drove out the negative stuff to bring in the healing and the goodness. And now what happened is that kids noticed. Kids notice things, right? They see all the different ways that, that things are, and they pay attention to those things. And so the kids notice, and this is what it says, is that they cried out when they saw people being healed, Hosanna to the son of David. But the chief priests and the scribes, they didn't like that. They were indignant. And Jesus said to them, have you never read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? And so the children sometimes can see things that you and I cannot see. And they marvel at God's goodness and truth. So Jesus tells them. Now I think that this is a powerful story about what happened. And, and you're going to see, um, especially if you're following along our reading plan during the season of Lent, which is we're going to be reading Matthew 21 through 27. And we're going to read it week after week after week. And so if you read Matthew 21 on Sundays and Matthew 22 on Mondays and Matthew 23 on, on Wednesdays and go throughout the week, we're going to repeat this. And you're going to see this conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders time and time again. And I think that this is an important thing. But I also think this story 
is an important thing for our hearts as well. Is it's not just a story about them, but it's a story about us as well. Belinda shared in her children's moment this scripture from 1 Corinthians. And it says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. And so that all of us, we believe, are temples of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. But what's happened is that you and I, we have surrounded ourselves and we have put obstacles in the way of true worship that we have distracted us ourselves, that we have put in, as, as the commentator said, this noisy commerce instead of a house of prayer. And it's even tempting for it to happen here in this place, even on Sunday mornings. I, I was feeling it during announcements, that there was all these announcements. And I just felt like all of us were Either you were paying attention or you've stopped paying attention and you began to think about all the stuff you had to do, all right? And so it's so easy for our mind and our heart to go all sorts of places when really what we want to do when we come here is simply to worship Jesus and to be with him and to be still. But we are so used to the noisy commerce that happens just outside of worship. We're so used to all these distractions in our world in which they have be appeared normal but really they are taking us away from God. This, this passage in 1 Corinthians is really about sexual immorality. And, and if we look at our world today, sexual immorality is all around us. We can't turn on the television, drive down a road, or open um, anything on Facebook without it being in our face that this is the norm of sexual immorality. But what God wants for us, all right, is purity, and he wants wholeness for us. It's not just what we see, but it's also what we say. There are probably some of us in this room who, who we would make sailors blush by the way in which we talk. And that cussing and, and all these other ways of negative talk and, and bringing people down has become so normal in our lives that it's broken us to pieces and we don't think another thing of it. Violence is the same way. We've seen so many people shot We've seen so many people stabbed on television that it's normalized us to this world of violence and the pain that it is. We're so used to hatred and spitefulness, gossip and slander in our world and on Facebook that, that again, we just say this is the way it is and if they do it, then I'm going to do it as well. There are addictions that are happening. There are people in this room who I'm guessing are addicted to alcohol or opioids or some other thing that it's become so normal in your way of living that you don't know what to do without it. And then there are some people who are so glad that I've said what I've said because somebody else needed to hear it. And what God wanted you is to check your own pride and to say you're so used to thinking you're better than other people that you haven't come humbly to me. And so what Jesus really wants for our life is to take out all these bad and negative things. He wants us to be able to clearly worship him, and he wants to drive out the darkness and the noisy commerce and all the stuff that fills our life so we could focus on worship. Why? It's not so he will be glorified. It's so that people can see and so that people will be healed. And so this is my hope for each and every one of you, all right? Is that, is that there is something that is blocking you from true worship of God. There is something that is preventing you from being healed physically or spiritually or emotionally that's still in that outer court of your life that you haven't allowed Jesus to break through and that you need to do that today. 
I, I shared a, a little bit of my own story back in, back in October, and, and just uh, if you weren't there, if you haven't heard, um, I had a, a long-time addiction to pornography. And what this, what this meant in my life was that even though I was following God and doing the best that I can, I didn't know what freedom looked like. I didn't know what healing looked like. And for a long time, I had pride in my life that thought, I'm going to defeat this one day. I have the power to drive it out. But that's not the way that addiction works. It's not the way that sin works, y'all. And so what happened was one day, I finally had to make a choice. And so it was October 14th, 2016, in which I said, Jesus, please come in. Jesus, can, can you get the sin and the darkness, and can you whip it out of here so that your healing could come? And I finally asked Jesus to break through. For a long time, I had tried to stiff-arm Jesus and say, stay away, I'll take care of things. But what happens is, is that when we open ourselves to allow Jesus into our temple, into our heart, into the holy of holies, into that place in which we don't want other people to go, Jesus will purge the darkness and bring in the healing. He will knock out those things so that we can experience healing in a brand new way. And, 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 and what I think about what it's so good of what he said is, is he, he talks about that he healed the blind. Now, I believe that Jesus can literally heal, heal the blind, but I also believe that there are some of us who have blind spots in our own life that we have never been able to see, all right, that Jesus wants to heal us from that and help us to see our own sin, to see our own brokenness, to see even the effects of our own sin on other people. And then there are some of us who are walking with a limp, and we've been walking with a limp for so long that we think that's what we're supposed to do. And we've been carrying this stuff but here's what Jesus can do, is he can knock out the darkness and bring in the grace. Knock out the gunk, knock out the noisy commerce, and bring in his wholeness. And as I think about what, is it, what do we need in Mustang, is we need people who are really ready to be real with God and real with themselves. One of the things that I really feel for a lot of people probably in this room is, is maybe you're thinking, oh, Aaron, you haven't hit me yet. But, but so many of you are tied to your work and workaholism and finding your identity in what you do instead of who Jesus says that you are. We just sang that song, and I wanted it to be true for you. I am who you say I am. Not what the world says that I am, not what my job says that I am, but who Jesus says that you are. And you are healed, and you are forgiven, and you are made new. And so this is what God wants for you. Do you want it for yourself? Do you want the life that Jesus can give you? Do you want the healing that he has from you? Or do you want darkness to reign? One of the questions that Jesus asked a person who had been paralyzed for 38 years, and some of us have been stuck in brokenness for 38 years or longer, is do you want to be made well? And that's my question for you all today. Because if you don't get righteously indignant about the brokenness in your life that Jesus wants to drive out, it's really hard for Jesus to do it. Jesus is both gentle and harsh. He knows when to give the gentle hand and he knows when to break out the whip. My hope is that God's gentleness will lead you to repentance. But I know that sometimes the whip has to happen too. And so maybe this is what some of you needed today. There is a brokenness that you have to surrender and give to Jesus. And there is darkness that you can't fight anymore. And if you do, it will only be worse. But if you surrender to Jesus, he will drive out the darkness and bring in the healing. Let us pray.
So Lord, we do thank you that in the midst of brokenness, you're there. And Lord, I pray for those right now who are, who are struggling in which, Lord, that, that they're so busy being distracted by all these things that, um, that, that keep them from being the people you want them to be, that, that keep them from experiencing healing and grace, that keep them suffering. And, and the world calls it normal. And we become so accustomed to it, just like they were accustomed to it many years ago in the temple, that this is the way the world is. But no, that's not the way Jesus' world is. And so, Lord, right now, I just pray for a spirit of surrender across your people today. That we would be willing for you to drive out the darkness and bring in the light. That we would be willing that that you would take those things that aren't from you. That we would take those things in our heart and in our lives that keep us from true worship of you. And that keep others from true worship of you. And you would drive those out and we would bring in your healing grace. So, Lord, give us the courage to give those things to you, and to open our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And one of the things, and I'm so glad that we get to do it today, is to receive communion. Because in communion, it's an opportunity for us to take in grace. It's an opportunity for us to say, I want more of Jesus in my life. One way I think about communion is sort of this idea, you are what you eat, all right? I eat a lot of bacon, so think about that, what you will, all right? And But here, when we choose to allow God, when we choose to take communion, we're choosing Jesus to enter into the lives and into the very being of our lives and to heal us from the inside out. And so when we take the, the body of Christ and we remember that Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. I am making the sacrifice. I want to be part of your life. This is my body, which is given for you. And then he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And there are some of us today who we just need to take that in. That whatever we've done, what we've said, the darkness that we've contributed to, we are forgiven and we can walk in new life. No matter what happened this week, this year, this decade, Jesus' grace is enough and he wants to forgive you and bring all the healing into your heart and life. And so when you come forward to communion, we remember Jesus' sacrifice who says, I'm enough, and Jesus' forgiveness that said, you don't have to strive, you just have to receive. Are you going to be willing to be open to what Jesus is going to do in your life? Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 830 and 1050 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.